great life. <clears throat> Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32. We're going to read that together for our scripture reading. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 29, the Bible says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We've been looking at the great life. And uh, before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I uh, want to make sure that we ask him to help us here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for the sermon series and what it's meant to my heart and my life. Uh, just to know that you have not left us alone, but you've, you're here to guide us, to help us, to strengthen us, to teach us. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us now today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Me with, I preach, and those that are hearing as they hear, that they would hear from you, not just me. Convict us where it's needed, encourage us where it's needed, and strengthen us as we all need it. I pray that you bless us now in Jesus' name. I pray these things. Amen. As I said, we've been looking through this series on the great life. The great life is the life of the spiritual man, the one that is filled with the Holy Spirit a life that is continually yielded to the Spirit of God. And we looked last week at the seventh ministry of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and we saw that it entails our yielding to the Spirit, uh, the Spirit's control over our lives. Just as I use the glove, uh, the, the glove cannot do anything of its own, but once it's filled with the hand, then it can do anything that the hand can do. Uh, just so, so with us. If we are filled with the Spirit, then we can do whatever the Lord wants us to do. Over the next three weeks, I want to look at the three conditions. Actually, it's going to be four weeks because I extended this sermon longer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, not today, but uh, uh, it's going to be four weeks that we're going to look at the three conditions of being a spiritual man. Okay, And so we're going to kind of a series within a series. Um, and so we're going to look at that the next four weeks. Um, Christians are told to live every moment of their lives at, with the Holy Spirit as our guide. And life for the spiritual man is a moment-by-moment -moment union with God. Sin, therefore, in the life of a Christian, is the very opposite of any true working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, in the first condition of the spiritual man, we look at first what the title of our, our, our thing here, what grieves the Spirit. Our title here today is Grieve Not the Holy Spirit. Our passage today sp spoke those words. So what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? Well, the simple answer is sin. Sin destroys spirituality. <clears throat> when the Christian sins, the ministry of the Holy Spirit must change from a ministry through the Christian to a ministry of conviction to the Christian. The Bible does not teach that in this church age, the Spirit withdraws from the believer because of sin, but rather he is grieved by the sin. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it 
may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And he continues, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So given the fact that when the, we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit and are not being led by the Spirit when we choose the flesh instead of the Spirit, God has directly given us in his word directions regarding how to deal with sin in our lives. First, God has provided that the sin of his children can be prevented. You don't have to sin. It can be prevented. While that is still true, we do sin. And we'll probably never be sinless. <laughs> even from this point on, because simply we're human. But it's true that we don't have to sin. Secondly, he has also provided a way to deal with the effect of sin in our lives. When we sin, <coughs> our lives may be cured of the effects that that sin has on our lives. What a loving God we serve, amen? He says, don't sin, be ye holy as I am holy. And yet he knows we're not really capable of doing that. Well, we are, if we yield to the Spirit 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But he knows we don't, and we won't. And so he says, and if you sin, I have made a way. And he tells us how to deal with that when we do. When we sin, our lives may be cured of this effect because of the way that God has provided he does not want us to sin, of course. He, did, he didn't create us to sin, of course. And yet, he knows our weakness. And he's provided us with all the instruction we need to make it right when we do sin. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. So we ought not sin. But when we do, what must a Christian do? That's where number two comes in. The cure of the effects of sin. So having sinned, what are we to do? By the way, we should be careful not to limit the sins to the sins of corrupt communication from verse 29. Or the bitterness and wrath and anger, etc. from verse 31. In the context of this book, of this letter, and the chapters we're looking at, it speaks of stealing, anger, lying, later fornication and other sexual sins, covetousness, etc., a whole gamut, pretty much all sin is understood to be talked about here, about grieving the Holy Spirit. I've heard preaching on the very tunnel vision, look at just these few verses. And that says that, uh, that the, this is what grieves the Spirit, but it's all sin that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. God has well-defined sin in his word. He has well-defined his expectations of holiness for us. And he has well defined his cure for the effects that sin has on our lives. The Bible does speak about unknown sin as well. It even gives us examples of praying for forgiveness for sins that we didn't even know we committed. But I don't think that this is what it's talking about. I think it's a willful known sin that we commit that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Specifically the sins that affect our consciousness our heart, our lives, 
Those sins which are known sins. The Holy Spirit has turned from leading, has to turn from leading and filling us to convicting us. Because we're not yielding to Him, so He can't lead us. And so He has to turn and say, and convict us of where we've gone wrong. And the sin must be dealt with, with the exact, by the exact direction of God. Only He's going to know how to make it right again. And by the way, let me just say this. Un, uh, uh, sin has a lasting effect on us. It does. The vast, a lot, well I'll say a lot of biblical counseling is because of unconfessed sin. And the lasting effects that it has from unconfessed sin. Not all, but much of it does. The sin that has to be dealt with the way that God says it needs to be dealt with. In times you may feel a sense of shame. Maybe you can't identify where that shame is coming from. We just feel convicted. Oftentimes we call it guilt. We feel guilty. I don't like to use that word anymore because we're not guilty. Amen? There is therefore no condemnation to them who know Christ. We're not guilty, but we feel shame. We feel conviction. And there's a big difference there. If you find yourself in this kind of situation, it would be very wise to pray for clear understanding. If you can't identify where that shame is coming from, it'd be very wise to pray and ask God to reveal that to us so that it can be dealt with biblically. Ignoring it causes it to compound in our lives. And it leads to many other situations. Depression, anxiety, all kinds of problems. If you're unsaved, the cure of sin itself is Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That's the answer right there for you. And you can clear all of your sin at once when you accept Christ as your Savior. The whole of the responsibility of your part can be summed up with one word, believe. Amen? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God wants to forgive you. It has been paid for. We're just waiting for that transaction to be completed by you believing. But we're talking about more than just forgiveness of your sins. That is just part of the whole context of salvation. Becoming a Christian on top of forgiveness of our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins, salvation involves a transformed life. Likewise, the Bible offers a remedy and a requirement for addressing the consequences of sin in the Christian's life. The consequences of sin can be dealt with in an unsaved person through what word? Believe. Okay, so say that with me. What word sums up the, uh, the cure for the unsaved? Believe. Likewise, the Bible has summed up the cure for sin and its effects in one word. For the Christian. That one word for Christians is confess. What is it for unsaved? What is it for the saved? Confess. The word is quite profound in the lives of believers. And it's extremely relevant and important to the issue of overcoming sins in our lives. And the effects of sin has in our lives. We can sin and turn away from that sin. 
meaning not do it again. But we'll still suffer the consequences and the effects of that sin until it is dealt with the biblical way. And that's what we're talking about today. Whether we're talking about believers who are alive before the cross or after the cross, that is the Old Testament saints, or in the church age, the renewal of the Christian relationship with God remains the same. We need to confess. The word confession means to agree with God. It's not repentance. Repentance is something different. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It should. Confession is the act and the particular purposeful act of agreeing with God on what he has already said. That what we have done, whether it was a lie, a wrong thought, a theft, an unkindness, whatever we have done, we come to God and we tell him, that we agree and recognize that what we did was sin. Why is that so important? Because humans love to justify. Well, I only did it because... How many abusive situations say, well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't? We love to justify. Confession leaves no room for, for justifying. Confession says, I agree with you. I was wrong. I sinned. Anything else is not confession. We recognize and agree with him that what we did was sin. It's a vital part of reconciliation and continually the ability to continually live in the spirit-filled life. I believe that there are seven major passages in Scripture that teach us about the restoration of the believer. We're going to look at that. Number three there, you see, is the seven major passages. We're going to look at these seven passages quickly this morning, actually six of them. And I'm going to leave the seventh because it's heavier uh, for, to, for next week. We see that the, what the Bible teaches us in these seven passages about restoring our hearts to a life that is led by the Spirit. First, we're taught, letter A there, only Christ can cleanse from sin. We see this in John chapter 13. Only Christ can cleanse from sin. We find in John chapter 13, the, uh, Jesus and his disciples up in the upper room. He's giving his farewell words to his disciples, to those who believed on him. Uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour was come, that he should... <clears throat> depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and, sent and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured, poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was skirted. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, 
thou hast no part of me with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. Here he's speaking to those who were clean every whit. The word translated every whit comes from one Greek word, holos, which means the whole. You are completely clean. You are wholly, uh, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly clean. He's saying you're completely clean. Because of the faith that the disciples had in Christ, Jesus said in chapter 16, verse 4, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus speaking to those who are believers here, yet not all of them. Judas was there, and Jesus knew and clarified that they were not all clean. <clears throat> but Jesus speaking to the believers gives an incredible image of our life as Christians. Very purposeful act why Jesus was washing their feet. He rises from supper and laid aside his outer garments, girds himself with a towel as a servant would do pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter objects again and he says, But Jesus, uh, but Jesus tells him, I, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So Peter says, Okay, Lord, then wash all of me, my hands, my head, everything. I want to be all in, he says. It sounds good. <laughs> but Peter still doesn't quite understand what's going on. So Jesus profoundly says, He that is washed needeth not to save uh, to wash his feet, but is clean every whit or completely. For the Christian, though we have been once for all cleansed at the moment of salvation, we must also be cleansed from every defilement of sin as we confess our sins to God. There has to be a continual act of confession, which is the act that Jesus was displaying by serving his his, his disciples. But only Christ can make us clean. The second passage, we're taught that confession is the one condition. Confession is the one condition uh, for, for cleansing as well as fellowship and forgiveness. Let's look at the second passage concerning you know, how the Father deals with His children that have sinned. First John chapter 1. He begins and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you, and that ye sin not. 
And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for, all, for the sins of the whole world. John writes, God is light in this passage. Perfect holiness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, sin, we lie and do not the truth. On the other hand, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with the Father and with Christ. We're not talking sinless perfection here. We're just talking about walking in the light. We're talking about becoming the light. We're talking about uh, walking in... We're not talking about becoming the light. We're talking about walking in the light. There's a big difference there, amen? Uh, But we yield to his light shining through us. We're walking in righteousness. When we confess our sins, we're forgiven. We're cleansed. We have fellowship with the Father, the Bible says here. There's only one condition for which we can be cleansed. Only one condition for being forgiven. Only one condition for for having fellowship with him once again. That is that one word that hinges on the Christian dealing with the effects of sin. Confession. When we sin, we grieve God, the Holy Spirit. When we're convicted of that sin, we must quickly renew that fellowship. Be forgiven. Be cleansed by confessing. Agreeing with God about that sin. The third passage related to our cure of the effects of sin in our lives is found in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31 and 32, only two verses this time. And this, will, uh, we're taught that self-judgment saves from chastisement. Self-judgment saves from chastisement. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the Lord world. In this third passage, we're given another piece of the important revelation here about our, the effects of sin in our lives. We're given the picture of the Father waiting for us to self-judge ourselves and confess. Or we will be chastened by Him. We are the God's children and He loves us. He does not want us to continue in sin because he knows the damages that sin does in our lives. He knows what sin will do in your life. And the continual sin, uh, the continual effects that that will wreak in our lives. James 1.14 tells us, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God does not want this for his children. So he'll chasten us to get our attention and bring us back to righteousness. He chastens us because he loves us. Hebrews 12, 6, we'll look at that passage in just a minute. But it says, from whom, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Why does he chasten? Because he loves us. He loves you. According to this example, we, have, uh, we, we, we see it in our own lives, the example of our fathers. Now, uh, the word chastening may be colored or tainted in our mind depending on how our fathers exemplified what true chastisement is. Chastening and scourging will look different from one father to another. But, but please remember today, 
we have a perfect heavenly father who deals with chastening the right way always. And he does it because he loves us. He doesn't do it because he's angry or wants to get even or wants to punish. He does it because one reason and one reason only. Because he loves us. Punishment is even different than chastening. The word chastening means to instruct. But chastening can include a form of punishment. But all of this may be missed. We, may, we do not have to experience any form of chastisement at all. We don't have to experience chastisement. I remember when I was a teenager at camp, the preacher preached a, a real heavy sermon on uh, the Lord chastens those who sin. And I knew I had sinned in my life. I was a young teenager, and I knew that I had sinned and uh, done things that I shouldn't do and such. And I remember going to my youth pastor after we were, when we were walking back to our cabin, and I told him, I said, I, I'm a little bit scared because the preacher said that if we don't see the chastisement of life, of, of, in our life, maybe we're not his child. You know, he talked about, I don't go and chase another person's child. He goes, if you don't see the chastisement, maybe you're not his child. And I got scared, and I said, I don't see this. And he, he kind of chuckled, and he laughed. He said, Jeremy, I know you, <laughs> and I know your heart, and I know that you want to do what's right. He said, I've seen it in your life when you've come to talk to me. And whenever you do sin, you confess it. You make it right. This is what we're talking about here. Self-judgment saves you from chastisement. Although there may be chastisement in the life of the child of God, there will never be condemnation. Amen? We will never be removed from the love of God. We will never be condemned again to an eternity without Christ because we are His. And he loves us, and therefore it brings chastisement if we don't fix it. Fourthly, we've already mentioned this partly, but we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, where we're going to see that chastisement is correcting. This is the way the father, just as any father, corrects and trains his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons." Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, for he, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. This verse recognizes the fact that fathers sometimes will chasten out of their own pleasure, of the whims of their own whims. They don't, they're human. They don't always correct, they don't always chasten correctly. But he says, but he, for our profit, 
that we might be partakers of holiness. Then verse 11 says, now no chastening for the present seems joyous. How many of you, when you're being chastised, say, this is fun? <laughs> That's what he's saying. No, no one thinks it's joyous at the time, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. After you've been chastened, your conscience is cleared, and it's right between you and the Father. Then that's when joy comes, and it's peace. I've had situations where I've done something, and someone else was involved. I confessed the sin to God, but I needed to go to that other person and confess and ask for forgiveness. But I didn't want to. Not because I was still angry or not because of anything, but I, maybe I was embarrassed or maybe I just, I don't like confrontation. I didn't know how they would respond. I didn't know if they would get angry at me again. I didn't know, uh, whatever. And I delayed it and I delayed it. And God was telling me, you need to go make it right. You need to go make it right. You need to go make it right. And I was saying, I will, I, I will sometime. But I was disobedient. I confessed the sin, but I didn't deal with it completely. I didn't fully obey. And so the peace was not there. The time came whenever I couldn't take it anymore. And I went to the person and I asked for forgiveness. And I told them I was wrong. I've confessed it to God, and now I need to confess it to you. Will you please forgive me? We walked away. I've had instances like that where it did not go well but I'm not responsible for the other person's actions. But most of my situations, it, re, it repaired our relationship. Where there was animosity, sometimes we didn't understand why there was animosity on one end or the other, but it repaired it nevertheless once it all came to light. The truth shall make you free. And once I, that was done, oh, boy, I feel so much better. Peace came where anxiety and depression and struggle once was. Freedom now reigned in my heart. It's one of the main passages of chastisement in the Bible we're looking at here, Hebrews. Here the Bible tells us whom the Lord loveth he chastens. And such we're told here that we are being dealt with as a son. Boy, what comfort that is, amen. Hey, chastening's not fun. Chastening's going to come, but hey, look at the other side. That just means you're his son. Amen? Those feelings, those struggles, that, that uh, feeling of shame, all of that, hey, it just means that you're his son. He doesn't do that to the other people, the other families, the ones that are the children of the devil. He doesn't do that to them. They live at peace. <laughs> he only chastises his son, his child, his daughters. What is the end goal of chastisement? Verse 10 tells us that we might be partakers of his holiness. God is trying to train and develop in us holiness that he expects his children to show forth. In our previous chapter, there are uh, a few verses that we didn't read that speaks of unrepentant Christians who disobey 
by taking the Lord's table unworthily. We just read the passages at the end there. 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In other words, they die. And this chastisement may include weakness and sickness and even death for those who refuse to yield. This is not to say that all weakness, all sickness, and all death is a result of sin in our lives. Okay? That's a part of the sin world. We're going to get sick. We're going to die. I heard somebody, a doctor, say today in one of my counseling training things and the videos that I'm watching, a medical doctor said, um, unless, unless you're, it's homicide, every person will die of sickness. I thought, wow. I never really thought about that. Even if you die of old age, it's still a sickness <laughs> of a sort. Every one of us will die of sickness. What is that? That's a result of the sin world. But there are some that are sick, that are weak, that end up dying because of their refusal to make it right with God. There are some. I've had people come to me and ask, did my loved one die because of sin in my life or their life? Or did I get sick? Do I have cancer because of sin in my life? My answer has always been the same. If it is, you'll know. There will be no doubt at all that it was because of a sin. I'd say it's probably rare, those extremes. Usually they're not even in church anymore. They've run so far that God is trying to get a hold of their attention because they've run so far. Usually, it's like the blind man who Jesus come across is, whose sin is this because of his father's or his mother's, as he said, or his own? Jesus said, none of them, neither. This is happening so that God may receive glory. And he healed them. And God received glory. Marlene Evans was the president of the Christian college that I attended. She, I'm sorry, she was the wife of the, of the president of the college that I attended. When I was a boy, she was diagnosed with cancer. And she fought cancer for many years. Whenever I was in college, she was one of my professors. <laughs> she had to be wheeled in in a wheelchair and teach from the wheelchair and wheeled back out to her office where there was a hospital bed where she would lay and rest for the next class, for the next period, and come back and teach the next class. She wrote a book called uh, something, I don't remember the exact title, but something about uh, cancer, my friend, my enemy. To be able to say that cancer was my friend in ways that destroys me and in other ways that has dropped me, brought me closer to God. It would be very hard-pressed to say that a woman like that and a godly influence like that would ever have cancer because of sin in her life. But, oh my goodness, the amount of glory that she brought to God through that sickness. The unbelievable testimony and the times that she would speak before thousands of women about her struggle and what she was going through and bring glory to God. Not everyone that suffers sickness, it's because of sin. But if it's because of sin, you will know. You will know. And God will be convicting your heart 
that you need to confess. Will that make you be healed? Maybe not. But you might gain some strength for sure. In John 15, we're told to abide in Christ. This is another way of talking about being spiritual, being a spirit-led man. And I'm not going to make it through all of my points here. And we'll just move it over to next week. But I want to finish this thought. And John, he's talking about the, the abiding in Christ. In this passage, we're told what happens to those who do not abide in Christ, the true vine. It doesn't cease becoming a branch. But because it doesn't bear fruit, it's cut away. When we fail to abide in Christ, we see the loss of effectiveness in our lives. The effectiveness of prayer, the loss of power in our lives, the loss of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We feel the heaviness of the Father's chastisement on us when we do not judge ourselves and confess those sins. Next week, we're going to look at numbers 5, 6, and 7, E, F, and G, because I'm running out of time. But oh, I want to impress upon you. I, I pray, please come back, because it's so important. I want to press upon you how important it is to confess your sin. Keep short accounts with God. If you're struggling, now again, not all depression, not all anxiety is a result of sin. Just as no, not all weakness, not all sickness, not all death is a result of a particular sin. But there is a result of unconfessed sin becoming physical in our lives. We see it all the time. If you're struggling, especially spiritual depression, which we talked about last week, deal with it. Confess your sin. Be cleansed. We'll look at some of these other passages of the effects of sin in our lives next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, sing our verse of invitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I pray that you would bless this sermon, Lord, and next week as well. I pray that you would help us, Father, to... Listen intently. Father, this is nothing that has been not been heard a thousand times before. But Father, I'm amazed at how many times I let things go for longer than they needed to go. And I end up inviting harm in my life and pain in my life just simply because I hadn't, didn't yield didn't confess, and didn't make it right. Lord, if there be anybody in this room today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that the day would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day. Anybody hearing my voice at all, in live stream or in this room, may, Lord, I pray that you would help them come to you today. Confess their sins. Come to you and believe. Confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. And the Bible says, you said, they shall be saved pray they would do that today. But Father, also represented in this room or those listening on live stream are some who are struggling. Struggling with shame because of sin they haven't unconfessed. There are other shames. 
shames that are brought on by other things, and we can talk about that at a future day. But Lord, we'll know. Your Holy Spirit is our guide. He convicts us. When we come to you and say, Lord, I'm feeling this. Can you show me why I'm feeling it? You will reveal it to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that the reaction of that revealing would be immediate confession and repentance. I pray that you bless us today, Lord. Change our hearts and change our lives thereby. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a verse of invitation real quick. Uh, if you need to deal with Jesus uh, on anything that the Lord has brought to your heart, may not be anything that was mentioned here, only you and the Lord will know. Uh, but let's sing together page 389.